to open your Bibles again to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, first of all, I want to read two verses from chapter 3, and then I want to reread our text from chapter 2. I'm preaching tonight on the subject, Knowing When Enough is Enough. Typically, we use that statement uh, when somebody is uh, doing wrong, uh, when they're pesting you or something like that, and you say, all right, enough's enough. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about being satisfied. I'm talking about finding a place where uh, we have what we need. I'm going to ask that you listen to me. I've asked the Holy Spirit uh, tonight to be uh, our attention getter. I uh, sometimes... Um, I hunger so much for folks to hear the truth of the message, and I, I don't know of a truth that's more important to a church and its ministries than what I'm going to preach tonight. And I've asked and asked again and again the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts as we listen. Second Timothy three verse number thirteen. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being uh, deceived. That text in the context of the last days, the coming of Christ. But he says in verse number four, but or in contrast, continue thou. And notice he says, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now go back to chapter 2 in our text verses, verse number 2. And I want you to notice we have those words, the things, the things, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Now you could read this verse without the next two words, and, and, and you may not change the meaning, but someone would. Someone would. You, you, you could read it to say, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. But the two words are there on purpose, and for the purpose of understanding the things I taught you, those are the same things. I don't want you to change anything. Because what worked in ten generations ago and eight generations ago and six generations ago and this generation will work in the next generation even though men will wax worse and worse the same things. Now I want you to understand Paul didn't come up with these things. These are the things that he learned from Christ. So he's still handing down to every generation and the things he said teach those same things. I'm preaching tonight knowing when enough is enough. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help me as I preach tonight. And I pause again to pray not because of habit or requirement. I pause to pray because, Lord, I hunger for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I pray our attention would be arrested and we would see, we would get a hold of the truth. For all of us tonight, there's so many applications for so many people. I believe most all of us tonight. I pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. It is our culture, or perhaps it is our nature, to work to make constant improvements in our life. As Americans, we've been blessed to be able to do so. When I look back in just 50 years, and certainly in 100 years now, 50 years I can look back on. To go to 100, I have to get Brother Rogers and Brother Tyra to help me. But um, anyway, I, going back 50 years, I can see many improvements that have been made to make our lives better. Uh, for example, transportation is a whole lot better. Uh, trains and railroads were, all, were okay. 
uh, automobiles are certainly much better uh, and the roads that we drive on and they continue to make improvements every year and when you think boy this vehicle's got anything and everything you could think of and some things you couldn't imagine they come up with something else now they have cars that just about drive themselves they wreck but they can drive themselves in most every area of life from medicine to electronics to the tools we use the roads we drive on the quality of appliances we use in our homes they've improved think about communication the oldest telephone I remember is the party line telephone when eight different people I believe it was I think I can go through the names and tell you it was better than Facebook <laughs> party lines were <laughs> some of you are smiling with a guilty smile on your face right now and then there are some today that wouldn't know what a home phone and when you say ring off the hook it doesn't mean a thing to them ring off your belt, ring out of your purse, whatever. But anyway, communication. Now we have absolutely constant communication ability. In the area of the military, we're blessed to have the most advanced and advancing technology in the world. Certainly much better when you look at the wars that have been fought and Americans have been involved in to go from the musket to where we are today. It's quite amazing. However, there are some areas of life that cannot be improved upon. And when you try to improve them, you actually ruin or destroy them. While we know that some areas are better advanced and improved, and there are some areas we have yet to learn, I pray that one day they'll find a cure for cancer. I'm thankful for the advancements that we've had. I pray that one day they'll find a cure for uh, dementia and those type of problems with our mind. I'm hoping that will happen within the next 10, 15 years, and sometimes I need it now. I'm thankful for the advancements that they have made, but somehow we think that most everything could be or should be improved or enhanced, and that's not true. There's some areas that we need to learn Enough is enough. I'll begin with a very simple and plain and obvious one. Salvation is perfect. God's plan of salvation is complete. It has been complete since before the foundation of the world. Now God has revealed to us different levels of knowledge and learning as he says in Hebrews chapter 1. And yet the plan of salvation, salvation by grace through faith in his son is complete. Now through the years and centuries, uh, some have tried to improve upon the plan of salvation. But you cannot upgrade, enhance, improve, polish, or add anything to salvation without ruining it. For you see it is by grace through faith or it's not at all. If you say that you have to be saved by faith, but you also have to be baptized to go to heaven, you've added to the plan of salvation and you have not enhanced it, you've ruined it. By the way, if baptism was required for salvation, what about the Old Testament saints? Well, that's not the purpose of the message tonight. I'm simply saying there are some things 
they are perfect as they are and we need not attempt to improve them for if we attempt to improve them we're going to ruin them. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia and he said this in chapter 3, This only would I learn of you. Received ye by the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He asked him a question. How did you receive the Spirit of God? How did he come into you? Was it by keeping the law or was it by hearing that it is by faith? We know the answer to the question. Paul goes on and says, are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? They thought if we trust Christ as Savior by faith, but if we tell folks you have to keep the law too, we'll surely be saved. They did not enhance salvation. In fact, they brought a confusion to the place that folks were putting their faith not only in Christ but in their works. And friend, can I tell you, salvation has nothing to do with me for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is nothing for us to boast about as far as salvation is concerned except to say thank God he would save an old sinner like me. So we need not try to enhance it. We need to just preach it. We need to just witness. We need to just share it. We need to just give the word of God. I believe tonight there's some things that we ought to pay close attention to so that we not ruin them attempting to improve upon them by, by uh, that, that we not ruin them by attempting to enhance them or upgrade them. There are three different areas I want to talk to you about tonight. First of all, I want to talk to us about our homes. God designed the home. He defined marriage. He designed marriage between a man and a woman for a lifetime. And after marriage, God gives children. And we're to rear those children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do I have a witness tonight? Take your Bibles and go with me, if you will, to the book of Proverbs in chapter 17. Proverbs in chapter 17, this is a reminder here for the home. This is a reminder for mom, dad, and the children. And he says in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 1, Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Now what he's saying in that verse, the Bible is saying it's better to have quietness than it is to have strife. Would you agree to that? The Bible says it's better to have quietness where we dwell in unity, where we dwell in peace than to have strife. What is strife? Uh, strife is arguing with one another. Uh, me get my way, you get your way, and arguing a strife of who is right and uh, what we are going to do. He said it's better to have quietness than strife. I want you to notice the house filled with sacrifices is connected to the word strife. Now what would that mean, a house full of sacrifices? It would mean, it would mean, let, let, let me go on, I'll come back to, uh, to that meaning. The house filled with sacrifices is connected to, to strife. Simple and plain, the dry morsel, which is not difficult to attain, is eaten in quietness. You've heard it said it may not be much, but it's ours. It may not be much, but it's paid for. What, what does that mean? It's better to have quietness than strife. Not just strife between people, but strife within. Some folks carry strife within because of purchasing things they cannot afford. It would be better to get rid of the strife and have the quietness by using something that you could afford, something that's within the budget. I hear someone say, 
someone who lives in a house of quietness. I hear someone say, I'm tired of eating a dry morsel every meal. Someone else said, yes, and I'm tired of living in this same old house. And a response comes, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get another job. We're going to start spending a little, and we're going to start living a little. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get a new car. We're going to get better clothes. We're going to modernize our house and put in televisions and computers and internets and we're going to internet and get toys of all kinds. Now, I'm not preaching against those things, but I'm saying anything that sacrifices the quietness and peace is not worth it. Before long, then, there is no quietness. There is strife. And may I say to you, our nation is filled with homes today, houses today where there's no quietness at all. There is a strife. And it's not because of the things that we have. It's because of the fact that we think things bring joy and things bring happiness. Quietness is what brings satisfaction. Now here's what happens when we get so many toys, we get computers, and we get all of these things we keep adding. Before long, there is no peace because there's no time for meals together. No time for being together. Arguing about what we're going to watch or who gets to use the computer. Now everyone has their own room, their own phone, their own food. And life is not a family, but everybody lives in this house that is more like a motel than it is a home. And woe be to the parent who interrupts a child that's playing a game. You know what would be better? Quietness without all those things. You say, but I want to make my life better. Did it? Are you enjoying all the things with your strife or did you enjoy the quietness better? Take your Bibles and go to Psalm 37. There is a time that we have to recognize in our home enough is enough. I, I, I'm not talking about taking a vow of poverty. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about the Bible principle of living within our means and working to earn what we have and not listening to all the advertisements of the world making you think if you had this or you went here or you went over here, you would have happiness like everybody else had. If you have all those things, if you're not careful, you will forfeit your quietness and you'll replace it with strife and you'll live in a house that you can't afford full of things that you can't afford and where there once was quietness where dad and mom and children could sit down and enjoy a meal and enjoy fellowship you better be careful about comparing what you know you have to what you think somebody else has I've counseled with enough people to know that life is not what it appears to be always. And there are times, and, and, and I hope you not misunderstand me, I'm not preaching against having a nice house or a nice car. I'm preaching against living outside your means to the place that you forfeited your quietness and there's never a meal together. There's never prayer time together. The family can't sit down without somebody saying, leave me alone, I'm on the phone. Leave me alone, I'm playing a game. Don't bother me, I'm watching this for heaven's sakes it do us good if the electricity in our country was shut off for a few days and we were forced to go to our homes again and find out 
Hey, you got a pretty good family. The Bible says in Psalm 37 and verse number 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Don't envy that guy. How many days in a row do we have to read in the news that this rapper and this rock musician and this person died at the age of 21, or 25 and 28, and we want that house full of sacrifices. I want to tell you tonight, it's better to have quietness and quietness is enough when there's peace in the home when there's joy and I want to tell you if your house tonight is filled with strife you ought to take a look at the truth of what I'm preaching tonight and say we need to figure out what it takes to have quietness in our home we need to do what it takes uh, to get the Holy Spirit working in our homes again we've come to the place we're so busy there's no time for parental instruction and teaching no time for training and discipline and you can say we're just trying to be like other people we're just trying to enjoy life like others but we've added and added and added to the home and to the place that we've ruined it life is time time is activities time is limited hear what I'm about to say when we try to do more than we have time to do we produce anxiety and frustrations and we reprioritize our life and we say, well, I've got this and I need to do that. I don't want to waste this. And we've come to the pl uh, place where folks say, well, I really don't have time to go to church on Wednesday night. I, I, I really would be, a, it'd be a hardship on us to go to church on Sunday night. You know what you ought to do? You ought to get rid of those, those, those sacrifices and those things and get back to where your relationship with God can be what it ought to be and your home can be a place of quietness. I believe it's important that we prioritize life to the place that we understand the importance of a meal together. That we enjoy the time of sitting down and praying together. You say, that's what church is for. You, you, you don't know the book. Yes, church is for the teaching and preaching of the word of God. But the first responsibility belongs to the father and the mother in the home to teach a child in the way he should go. And in that context, he's talking about character. And character training takes time. And training takes practice again and again and again. And there has to be time. You can't learn that. There's no app that replaces dad. There is no app that replaces mom. My purpose tonight is not to preach on specific things, but whatever the thing is that would take away our quietness, that would take away our family time, that would take it away. And we say, but I want to make life better. Look at the world around us and tell me, did it make life better? Homes are in shambles not because of poverty. It's because they've added and they've added and they've added and they've improved until they've ruined it. We'd be better off in a one-room house. By the way, don't feel sorry for the family that lives in their means and they enjoy serving God together. Don't, don't, don't feel sorry for them. 
Don't think, boy, if they had more of this world's good, just think of what they can do. No, friend, what they can do is between them and God and their relationship and their walk with God. It's not a matter of what this world can offer. Paul said, did you begin in the spirit and you think you can make it better by the flesh? You can't make anything better by the flesh that God gave you by faith in the spirit of God. Second of all, let me talk to you about the church tonight. There's some things that we can improve and I'm thankful for it. I'm glad medicine can be improved. I'm glad mechanics and electronics can be improved. Surely folks think we could improve the work of the church. I don't think that's true. I think the work of the church is already established. Paul told Timothy that the world would wax worse and worse in its sin. The work of the church, though, is to remain the same. I want you to continue, and I want you to go back to this and look at the context of 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also, he says in verse number 1, that in the last days, you know what that means? These things and the same things work to the last generation. I want you to see that tonight. I want to get your attention again. I want you to see that tonight. The same thing that Paul learned that he was teaching Timothy in chapter 3. He said this, knowing the last days that perilous times shall come. But he still says in verse number 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. What work for the last generation is going to work until the generation of the return of Christ. We don't need to reinvent the church we don't need to, and I'll tell you what we've done. We've added this program and that program and this program to the place that we don't have time for preaching. The average church has come to the place they have an eight to ten minute inspirational rally by some puppet that is never offensive. He's casual in his approach. He's casual in his appearance. He presents something as if it's a choice. Friend, can I tell you something? I'm not the one that matters, but when this old book presents a truth, it demands a decision, and that decision is not between you and I. That decision is between you and the book. And when we come to the place that we've added so many programs and so many activities, and we think, well, we can make the church better. You can't make the church any better than folks getting saved and baptized. You can't make the church any better than folks growing in their relationship with God. You can't make the church any better than young people memorizing the Scripture. You can't make the church any better than young people quoting the word of God. You can't make the church any better than singing the songs of the hymns and the spiritual songs. You can't make church any better than the preaching of the word of God. You can't make church any better than what God has designed it to be. I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. We should never replace the best we have with something professional that's not a part of the church. The talent of the world is never better than the spirit-filled Christian. I'll say it again. The talents of the world are never better than the spirit-filled Christian. You say, preacher, just think what church would be like if we had a professional pianist and we had a professional organist and we had a professional band. Just think what church would be like if we had a professional choir and we had a professional speaker. I'd tell you what it'd be like. It'd be like last year's Christmas tree. It'd be dead of the spirit. That's what it would be because you don't improve on the spirit-filled Christian. 
when it comes to teachers, when it comes to preachers, when it comes to servants, when it comes to musicians, when it comes to singers, when it comes to children of God, you can't improve on the spirit-filled child of God. Bringing a country band into the church never improved the church, it only killed it. Bringing a rock music band into the church never improved the church, it only killed it. Bringing in every gadget and gizmo and new piece of electronics to the place that the word of God is dull and the spirit cannot move did nothing to enhance the teaching and preaching it only killed it. What we need is a revival of being filled with the Spirit of God. What we need is a revival of being filled with the Word of God. I'm not interested in us being moved by theatrics to the place of our emotions coming to the place of tears and laughing and I'm not against either of those but my goal is not to stir with uh, theatrics. My goal is to preach the Word of God and the power of God so that the Holy Spirit of God finds its mark and does His work whether it's in laughing or tears or quietness, whatever the case may be we need again tonight to hunger to hunger for a moving of the Holy Spirit through the word of God by the way I personally don't think the music of Nashville or rock and roll is any better in fact I don't even think it's as good as what we've enjoyed tonight just compare it straight up I think we've had as good as you can get By the way, these are not the only things that have hurt the church or brought a church to its knees. Sometimes we can be guilty of adding too many programs and activities. I'm not, I'm not scolding any activity. I love being busy, and I love being busy. But I'm saying tonight, if we get to the place that we have to choose between going to church or our activities, let's cancel the activity and make sure we have church. You get to the place life is too busy, I don't have time to read the Bible, then cancel some activity, but don't cancel reading the Bible. You may get so busy you miss lunch or supper, and of course most of us, we've uh, got a few extra added on in case we do miss one. But the truth is tonight, you, you miss it, you're going to make it up, can tell you, you and I can't afford to miss the bread of life and the living water that's only found in this book. Let me say number three, I want to address the area of Bible college. The purpose of the Bible college is to teach and train young people for service. Without doubt, God laid on my heart and answered prayers that only God can answer for Commonwealth Baptist College to come about. My heart's desire is to light a fire of passion for preaching of the word of God, winning souls to Christ, and being a servant. I spent some time this holiday season doing some reading and studying not only what the Bible says, and, and, and I read about Elisha and the school of the prophets for the sons of the prophets, and I read about the importance of training and all of that in the scripture. I, I, I read that, but I went back and I looked at some of the major colleges today. Some of the major colleges today would be a good place for soul winning, but they began very simple and small like Commonwealth Baptist College. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever heard of, and boy, you're going to love the name if you've not heard of it, Bacon, don't that sound good, Bacon College? How many of you ever heard of Bacon College of the Bible in Lexington, Kentucky? Do you know that the University of Kentucky was founded much in part by and from a school that began Bacon College of the Bible. Do you know that the first professor of Transylvania University 
is when it was Transylvania Seminary and Kentucky was not a state, was 1790. And the first professor was a David Rice. And the first textbook was a book that's now over 400 years old. And that's the King James Bible. And of course the Bible is eternal. This book was given to us in English in 1611. Do you understand that Duke University, Lord forgive me for saying that, began as Trinity College. Do you know Harvard, Dartmouth, Oberlin, those places were begun in simplicity to train servants for the Lord. Today many of them are places that would be a good place to go soul winning. Some of them are teaching that there are several genders. There are some that have professors so simple-minded they can't figure out how many genders there are. That being said, we must be careful in the work of our Bible college to make sure that even now it stays what it ought to be. Commonwealth Baptist College was not started so we could have sports programs. There's not a thing in the world wrong with a sports program. I love them. I enjoy them. We'll have activities in our school that will deal with sports. I'm not trying to earn money or make money by putting a college basketball team on the floor so we can keep our college going. Not interested in that. And there are some that one day it was a Bible preacher that the college was about. Today it's about recruiting a better basketball player. Advanced education, arguing over languages and issues and on and on and on where the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.23 in the very context of our text tonight, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Are you with me tonight? I say tonight, let's let enough be enough. Bible college is to first of all learn the word of God. Young men, young ladies, you ought to hunger to know that book and even more to know the God of that book. You ought to hunger for the Holy Spirit to reveal his truth to you in a way that would guide and guard you and the light to your feet and the lamp for your path would be so bright you wouldn't have to wonder if you were in the will of God or not but you would know as you yield every day to the Spirit of God. We need to understand it's important that we learn proper English, that we learn history, but that we stay focused on the fact of the word of God and the work of winning men to Christ and music that serves and praises God and a proper behavior that includes a biblical etiquette, learning to behave as young men ought to behave and learning to behave as young ladies ought to behave. Now I come to a most important part of the message and it's not the close. Oftentimes, please listen to what I'm about to say. Oftentimes, our desire to see something improved 
does not need to be improved. I just need to be motivated to do what I'm supposed to do. Motivation to do what has been done in the beginning. You see, I don't need a new plan of salvation to motivate me. I need to be motivated to give the plan of salvation as God has given it. There are questions often about the plan of salvation. I was witnessing to a young man yesterday, and he told me, he said, I rode the bus to Sunday school and church when I was a boy. And he said, I, I, I got saved and baptized when I was a boy. He said, do I need to do that as a, again as an adult? And I said, well, Jesus put a child in the midst and said the kingdom of heaven is like a little child. He said, except you become as a little child, you cannot be converted. And I said, no, I believe your faith as a child is, a, is what it takes to save you. But you understand, sir, the problem with your relationship with God is the fact that you've not been coming to church. If you didn't go home for a year, you'd wonder if home was still there, wouldn't you? you got saved and hadn't been in church in five years, if you, if, if you hadn't been to your house in five years, you may wonder if it's still there when you go back. May I say tonight, now listen to me, I don't need to improve it, I need to motivate me just to obey it. We don't need a new and improved home design and plan. We do not need a new and improved church plan and program. We simply need to be motivated to do what we know to do. Several statements and I'm finished. Number one, dad and mom, get motivated to do right. There's not a new gadget that you need. It's not a new appliance that we need in our home. You may need a new appliance tonight, but that won't help your family. It may make breakfast better in the morning, but that's not what will help your family. You see, I need to understand those children are in heritage. They're an assignment to me. It's my responsibility to rear that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I can't do it by example only. It must be done by example and exhortation. So I must make time. I must take time to do what God's told me to do. I have to do whatever it takes to motivate me. I don't need to redesign the home. I don't need to enhance the home. I don't need to improve God's plan. I just need to get me motivated. Just get me stirred up. Maybe there's some things I need to take out of my schedule that's taken away my emphasis on the home. Maybe there's a change of schedule, a change of attitude that I need to take. I'll give an account for the rearing of my children before God. I want to rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's my job to stay motivated to do so. Teacher, get, motiva get motivated to do what you need. Get motivated to do what you know to do. Think, read, study, prepare. Let me give you this statement. The prepared teacher is excited about tomorrow. The unprepared teacher dreads tomorrow. We can put you in a brand new school. It's not the new school that you need. It's not a computer that you need. It's not a tool that you need. It's preparation. It's motivation to do what you're supposed to do. That's what we need. We've come to the place in our world that we think, well, if I, I'm going to stay motivated, I've got to have something new. No, it's a commitment. It's motivated my mind and my heart, my body to do what I know to do. The prepared teacher is excited about next Sunday morning.
The prepared preacher is excited about the next service. Preachers don't need a new book. They don't need a revision of the book. They just need to be motivated to preach the word of God. There's nothing uh, that couldn't be fixed with a man of God. If you, if, if, if you could lock him in the woods or put him in a cell somewhere for a month and give him enough food to live and give him the Bible, nothing to see, nothing to read, no criticism to read, nothing to fill his mind with but the word of God and you turn him loose after a month with the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God, I promise you when he comes to the pulpit, there'll be a fire burning in the pulpit. Well, we need a new version. No, we don't. We need a renewed you. College professor, it's not the new things that we need. It's time and preparation. It's prayer for our students. It's a desire to see them reach their potential. College students, not a new tool you need. It's a dedication or rededication to what God's called you to do. You're in the will of God. You need to be dedicated. Whether tomorrow you're going to Transylvania, University of Kentucky, or Commonwealth Baptist College, or wherever you're going, if you're going there in the will of God, it is your job to be motivated. You don't need your dad to buy you a new computer to get motivated. If you do, you're a sorry student. What it takes is just a dedicated mind and some time of preparation for you to motivate yourself, and you can be a good student. I've seen students with nothing but a pen and paper make straight A's. I've seen a student, students with iPads and iWatches and iReaders and iStudiers make straight F's. There's nothing wrong with those tools. I'm not preaching against those. I'm preaching against me not doing what I'm supposed to do. My motivation cannot be a tool without. It must be a spirit within. Church, all we need to do is get motivated to do what we know to do. Ah, preacher, if we had a new band, we could get a lot of people saved. No, if you and I knocked on doors and you and I gave out gospel tracts and you and I asked and compelled and begged people to come to Sunday school and church next Sunday, that's what would motivate and stir and excite a local church. We need to come to the place in our life that we look at our lives and say, okay, enough is enough. Enough.